Have you been curious about fertility awareness and which method is right for you? Are you sick of the one-size-fits-all approach to healthcare, being just another number at your doctor's office? Do you feel alone in your fertility journey, like you have no one to talk to, or no one understands you, or like you've been left out of the conversation completely? Do you wish someone would just be straight with you about the practice of fertility awareness in real life? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Mary Bruno. And I'm Emily Frazee. And together, we're on a mission to make fertility awareness and restorative health care more accessible and more authentic. We bring the hard and uncomfortable conversations that touch the nitty-gritty parts of the practice that matter to you. Welcome to the Fanbase Podcast. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Fan-Based Podcast. I was this close to saying the intersect, and I was like, oop, no, yes. we had a Whoopsies. brand change. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, so today is the other part of this little mini-series where we're talking about when charting sucks. And um, as I corrected in the last episode uh, when we were talking about mine, um, it's when charting blows massive chunks. For different reasons. Um, obviously, for me, it was more about not being able to chart to avoid pregnancy. Um, and now we're going to talk about the other side of that coin. What happens whenever you're charting and you're trying to get pregnant and you're identifying health issues? Let's talk about when charting sucks on that end of the spectrum. And of course, my darling friend and coworker, colleague, <laughs> sister from another mister, Mary, is going <laughs> to... Exactly. Yeah, again, we have both sides of the coin. So I know that's why, we, that's why we did this together. But yeah. of course, we are starting with our messy. So Mary, take it away, because I don't know what my yeah. messy is. My messy is the same as well, the last time we talked. So right. Like, that doesn't change. No, I yeah, think no. appropriately timed. You know, Mother's Day was a little messy. Mm-hmm. It's like the idea of Mother's Day and approaching it. that It's taken on so many new forms for me over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as I became infertile, Mother's Day got really hard, um, yeah. especially at mass. Really, I think that was the biggest thing that made it so hard. <laughs> like if it wasn't like, for the struggles during mass, not, I'm not sure it would have gotten so hard. Maybe it I mean, yeah, sure. It still would be a little bit hard. But yeah. And so now like we have an adopted daughter. She's almost seven. So I've I've been a mother in that sense for a really long time now. But there's always still this like weird kind of feeling as it approaches um which I and then I, I really think it's a matter of just appreciating both and like I am very grateful to have her and and my own mother but also like just want to always hold space for those who are really struggling on the day that both are present and that we can celebrate it and but also remember those who are struggling so it was it was a good day but it was just kind of like hmm you know, like, I know it's fine. Let's just not give it too much attention. Um, that's kind of how I felt about it. So yeah, it's that struggle of holding the, the joy and the pain, like holding space for, yeah. It's like that your experience obviously opened you up to the awareness of this piece of it. that most Mm -hmm. people are not aware of. Um, and then there is also this reality, your other reality of, of being an adoptive mom, and the joy that that brings you and, and how to balance that. It's yeah. like, mm, we don't really know how to do that if we're honest. Um, okay. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I had to say, I feel like it was a pretty good day. 
holding. Hey, I, I do. I really think I somehow it was fine. I just kind of let it feel how it felt and it was good. Yeah. I know it, it's, it's cliche and it feels, I know when I first heard this term, I was like, that is so juvenile, but actually not doing this is what's juvenile to let yourself feel your feelings. Oh yeah. It's like, that's literally, that's how, that's what it's helps actually you to, mature. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like, it, it feels very juvenile, but it's actually, it's very emotionally mature. It's very hard. And, um, hmm. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really know what my messy is because my hair, I still need a haircut. It's happening next weekend. My house is still, you know, my house, you know, the same messy. But I was literally thinking, I'm, I'm gonna get a little, I don't know, philosophical. Why do we always think of messy as bad? Ooh. You know, I know, right? That's what I, that's what popped into my head, and I'm not gonna go down a whole tangent because that's a whole podcast episode I don't want to record. Um. <laughs> But I think you're onto something because I don't know, a lot of, I'm like, you always want to clean up your house when somebody comes. I'm I'm not, that's good. Like, I'm not saying that's bad, but then like, if people come to your house and it's too clean, they're like feeling uncomfortable. And it's it's like, like, I don't want to get it dirty. It's like, oh, you don't like your house is dirty. It's like, my house is dirty too. Like it's some dirty secret. And it's like, yes, I love, like, I don't mind. I really, truly, honestly don't mind my house. Like with a certain amount of mess. Yeah, me either. But I feel like it's like. Well, it's like, it's that balance between I want, like, especially as a Southern women, cleaning your house is like a sign of respect for anybody who comes over. But then there is also that element of like, yeah, but you're basically family, so I don't really care. Right. And then (laughs) it's like, it's like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, it can be, I, it can be both an insult and an honor to come over to a messy house which is like, I feel like that's the most Southern thing ever. <laughs> right. I mean, within reason, obviously there's a balance. Right. Like you want to take care of your, your family and yourself right. and like, let's clean things. So we don't get sick. And like, it's not disgusting, but like, do we need to have everything absolutely pristine? No, no. absolutely not. It's like, this no. is lived in. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm just getting to this point where I'm like, no, having something messy is, is not bad. And of course there's like that cliche, like tacos are messy and we love them. So it's like, Oh, nice. Yeah. Right. You remember that like tacos fall apart and you know, he just put the other tortilla down on your plate and then you get second taco. Right. That's true. Make it a salad. Yeah. There we go. go. So anyway, that's, I guess that's my musing on messy is that messy isn't necessarily bad. No, I I love it. So that's actually kind of a good segue, sort of, kind of. Look at me go. This is a great way to start these podcasts. So let's, let's just dive in. So Mary, obviously, you know, we've talked about our stories. Um, Probably most of our listeners are familiar, at least on some basic level with your story. So let's start with how did you first learn about fertility awareness and Creighton as an option? And this is interesting. I actually don't think I know this. Really? I don't okay. think I, when I wrote, I don't know, no. I was, when we were planning this episode and I was like, I wrote that question down. I was like, cause this is a, I felt like this is a good place to start. And I was like, I don't think I know the answer. It's kind of a funny story actually. So hearing about like NFP, I just grew, I don't know when I first heard of it. It was just the thing that you do when you get married. Right. Like, right. and that was symptothermal. I did not know there were other method options. And my sister, who's five years older than me, um, when she got engaged, it was like, Yay, I'm so excited. Got to set a date, find a church, and and set up your NFP class. <laughs> it was this right up. Like it's passage. this not, naughty thing. Like, well, I was like, I could say, I'm like, yeah, you get to learn NFP now, you know? And so that was my only awareness of it. 
Um, and so let's see. She so let's see. I was how old when she got engaged? I don't know. We both had like bad cramps though. Like we both had that experience, but neither of us knew that there were like options. It wasn't right until... because this is just what this is just your lot in life as a woman. Oh, like you yeah, just totally. you just your periods hurt and you're moody and you just need to suck it up and deal, deal with it. Yeah, we didn't even go to the doctor. Like Mm-mm. to even like not until later did I go to get prescribed birth control. We didn't even you, go. You it just need just some like, mitol. That's all you my need. My mom just like prayed and was sad with us. <laughs> you know, like my poor mom didn't know what to do. Anyway. Yeah. So um no, it wasn't until later. Oh, when I, I, it wasn't until after I went, I had this really sharp pain on my ovary and I went to the OBGYN and like, they did an ultrasound said I may have an endometrioma scheduled surgery. Um, and then my mom was like, oh, so-and-so over at church teaches this Creighton model thing. And I had never heard of it. And that, that was it. I was just like, and at first I was like, actually was like, I don't want to do what my mom says. <laughs> Heck no. And um, so I actually ignored it for a while. And then I knew this lady too, and I really liked her. Um, yeah. And so that's, and then I just started. I didn't know what it was getting into. I didn't know it would help with health or anything like that. Um, oh no, I must, I must have known somewhat because my mom was like, you should do this. I don't, I don't actually remember. Um, but yeah, that's how it got started. That's yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, I, I love um, the whole, like, whenever your mom suggests something for you to do, it's just like, just like automatically no. Yeah, automatically exactly. no. Exactly. And I feel, I feel bad because I know we do have women who reach out to us, like mothers of daughters who are older, and they're like, how do I get my daughter into this? And on the side, I'm like, don't be the one to suggest it to her. <laughs> Or yeah, just don't I overdo just, it. Yeah. Right. Because and I mean, like I say that like on the one hand, like I totally understand, like as the mother, like you want to do whatever it takes to help your daughter. But on the other hand, every mother and daughter has baggage and it's just kind of like ingrained. It's just in our DNA. It's like when mom suggests something, just okay. automatically no. I don't know why for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Just automatically no. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the rebellion or whatever, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. So obviously eventually down the road, you became infertile, you got that diagnosis or, or even we could call it a label. Um, so when kind of walk us through how that unfolded, like when did that happen and, and what was your reaction? And like, let's really kind of dig into not just the physical ramifications. Cause you were already dealing with that with the pain, but let's also talk right. about mentally, um, yeah. how that so- unfolded mentally so I just kind of assumed like even though I got this diagnosis about a year before we got married and this is the the uh, endometriosis I'm sorry yeah I got diagnosed with endometriosis like a, a year or so before we got married so I had learned that it can cause infertility I did not think I would be infertile. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of blissfully ignorant. And part of it, it was just like, it's just what I, I'm Catholic. I'm, this is what I want to do. Like, this is not going to be an issue for me. I'm just, um, I think about it as like the Catholic Mr. Protocol is like for everybody who's seen my big fat Greek wedding, like get married, make a baby. This is what <laughs> yeah. we do, right? It's just what I do. This thing ain't gonna hold yeah. me back. So yeah. um, I wouldn't say I ever got, I mean, clearly I got the diagnosis, but for me, it's, I think it's kind of weird with infertility because it's not like you get a, 
I know some people, women get a diagnosis, but right. not like you go like endometriosis, they biopsied and they say you have endometriosis, like you have diabetes. Like these are things that we can say, but with infertility, it's just kind of like, nobody really knows because you can get pregnant any cycle, even if the chances are really low, you know, miracles happen. Women do end up pregnant or like, you know, you're going through these treatments, things, things can change. So you have all this hope. So I would say it's just kind of like an over, over time, this kind of realization. I think that's different for each woman. It's individual where you kind of like accept, okay, this doesn't look like it's happening for me. So Mm -hmm. it took for me, I would say like around the two year mark, um, one and a half, two and a half year mark where I was just like, okay, this is not happening. I've had surgery already. I've been, you know, I've been trying these different things and this is just not happening. And also when I started charting, so I charted for maybe eight to 10 years. I can't remember. Um, so I started before I was married and then I stopped right before I had my hysterectomy. But when I first started charting, I can go back and look at my charts. Like I had a pretty good mucus cycle. And so over the years, you can see how my mucus cycle went to like five, six days and, and the quality matters too, the quality of the mm-hmm. mucus too, but down to absolutely nothing. Wow. So, and, and an unusual bleeding is another part of it too. I had that in the beginning, but you know, that kind of went back and forth over the years. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's kind of sad to see this. Pro- it's nice to have that progression of things to see your like, to have so much information, but at the same time, you can look at to it over the years, just go down to absolutely none. Yeah. That was rough. And I can, as you're describing this, you know, I can imagine, you know, we, we want to have hope and, but, but I can imagine that hope just kind of feels like this dangled carrot and like that longing for hope. You know, I know it says in scripture that hope does not disappoint I've never understood that scripture passage Um, because I feel like, you know, this hope that you have, like you're seeing this information, you're seeing that you have, like you said, a good mucus cycle and every single cycle, it's like, okay, maybe, okay, maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but in every single cycle, you're disappointed. Yes. And like just the, the toll of that over and over and over again, you learn to boycott hope. I mean, and I think what you're saying, it depends on what you hope in. And I think for me, I remember I just didn't know what to hope in because I'm like, I know I hope in God can do anything like he could, you know, I know miracles happen. This is possible. You know, things are improving, but also like, I have to be realistic that this might not Mm -hmm. actually happen. And the pregnancy test, pregnancy test became such a trigger, like the actual struck. I mean, like the actual pregnancy test, you know? Yeah, you um, were telling me about that one time. Can you share your experience with pregnancy tests? Such a conundrum because I knew, thank God I never had PMS symptoms, which is common with women with low progesterone. And I had such low progesterone, which again is common with um, endometriosis to like estrogen dominance. Your estrogen is really high. My estrogen was like off the charts, but my progesterone was really low. And so um, I would have to supplement progesterone. So I was also at, at miscarriage risk, not only because of endometriosis, but because my progesterone was so low. So I did not have the luxury of not taking a pregnancy test mm-hmm. because I knew like if a miracle happened and I were to achieve a pregnancy somehow, I really need to know as soon as possible so I can 
make sure my body has enough progesterone to sustain that pregnancy. So that was fun. Um, you know, because at a point you just want to stop taking them. Yeah. Um, and then, but, but no, like, you know, sometimes it's my, you know, I'm period game a little bit later and for various reasons we don't need to get into, um, you know, you got to take it. Yeah. And then, yeah, that has its own mixed bag. So it's like, how do I go about looking at this pregnancy test? Um, oh, it's just, oh, it's just awful. Um, yeah. Do I want to hope? Do I want to like look at it and hope? You can't help but hope, but at the same time, prepare yourself for the letdown. You can't do, I don't, yeah, I don't even know. You can't do both. So it's just, it was just this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's, it's basically torture. It, 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 yeah, kind of. Like, at least on a psychological level, it's, I mean, it sounds like torture, you know, that you're just having to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Right. And your cycle length was like, how long? My single length was pretty normal. My luteal phase played games with me because what's not super uncommon for women who are infertile is called like unruptured follicles, Mm -hmm. which can happen in a normal length luteal phase, but sometimes it can mean your luteal phase is longer than usual. You're not pregnant. It was like an ovulation defect, but it makes your period come a little bit late. Just like stress can do too. I mean, stress can do the same thing, but I had like confirmed unruptured follicles that would just happen every once in a while. So, so that probably, that compounded the hope for pregnancy even more. And one of the treatments to increase estrogen and progesterone naturally is HCG injections. So you can get a positive with, from the HCG if you took it too soon too. So I had to wait a little bit long. Yeah. It was just like a lot of, brain apps oh my gosh I feel like I'm also just learning I I didn't know that yeah that brain effery on mm-hmm. on like yeah okay so this is <clears throat> this is kind of I don't know maybe I'm trying to like take your story and like let's apply it to a larger picture too soon but obviously like Creighton and Napper technology and the whole restorative medicine approach to our fertility health care. Like we're all for it. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful, wonderful, good thing. However, there's definitely times where we don't go into it with appropriate expectations. And there's not really, I feel like in some cases, and maybe you felt like this, there's not really an off-ramp. The off-ramp is getting pregnant. But can you talk about like just kind of from your your opinion, your perspective, because you have a unique vantage point. You both use Creighton for health reasons, trying to achieve pregnancy, and you are a Creighton health practitioner. Can you talk about kind of what do you think should be the approach for women? Because I know women find themselves in this conundrum of like they get on this highway of care. But then they kind of end up in these places where you're talking about where it's just this mind F every single cycle. Yeah. And we know that mental health has an impact on our overall health, on our cycle health. So can you talk about like, what, what do you think is kind of the, the approach here? What do you think would be, would be helpful for women to know getting into this, maybe being far down the road? Um, talk a little about your experience here from both of these perspectives. Yeah, great question. I wonder if I was kind of spared of that NAPRO like mindset because mm-hmm. I didn't know about like 
now I think a lot more people are talking about it and you hear it being recommended and it's like, oh my gosh, it did this for me. And you hear about all these miracle situations and we have all this, these treatment options now that a lot of women don't know about or that we have now. Well, when I went into it, I knew nothing. So I didn't have any expectations for this to like save me. It was also new. I was just like, okay, whatever. Like, let's do this. Um, now I had been offered birth control. So I was grateful to have like, oh, there's actually like, I, first of all, they're not going to prescribe me birth control. And I have these, these options, like all of these things that they can actually do. Um, so I, I never saw, like, I never looked at it at, I don't know, as like a, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like a nap like a cure-all. like cure-all. Yeah. I, I yeah. was just, I feel like I was able to separate, um, like, yeah, NAPRO as this thing that's going to save me. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was relying on these doctors or this, this thing. I was just grateful to have all these things to try. So mm-hmm. I think that, and, and I, I think women need that because when you're in, when you're infertile, you want to try everything. So it's good to have that avenue. However, um, and this is what I kind of, the, the way that I try to, to set it up for my own um, clients um, is, is really trying to define this as we're going to focus on your health. Um, mm-hmm. Your desire for pregnancy is really good. And hopefully that will happen, but that's going to be over here for now. I'm here to help you like, learn you learn teach you how to to read your body to chart your cycle and then there's these specially trained doctors that can help heal your cycle so here we're here for your health okay um when you're your healthiest you're most likely to achieve a pregnancy but like that just i just think mentally and emotionally that just has to kind of be separated um because if you're focused on your health and there and i'm talking about holistic health right we have physical we have mental and we have spiritual if that is your priority, then you're going to be aware of when my mental health, if that's your priority, like, okay, this is really not right. Now I'm, I'm putting this, this is like going above my other priorities as far as like myself, my relationship, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, and, and I did come to a point at eventually, um, I needed to try all that extra stuff first, but eventually it was like, okay. And I think when you, you know, you talk about feeling broken, so many of us feel broken. I think with, with infertility, I, I kind of, with the chart, I'm looking at the chart and I'm basically seeing all the things that are wrong with me mm-hmm. and I'm infertile. And sometimes the chart looks better. Sometimes it doesn't. I was just expecting it to look better. And what I realized later is like, um, it became an indictment on me as a person rather than something that's just going on with my health. And that's when it becomes unhealthy. And it was a really, it was just a really big realization for me. And I think like, look, you break your, it's not like, I mean, I I can feel like the devil's advocate over here, but like, no, but something is actually broken because your body doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. But I think the way to frame it, that's true, but yeah, the frame, the way to frame it is, is, your body is telling you something is wrong, which means your body is working. Yes. But there, it, it's telling you that it needs something to be fixed. Yes, absolutely. And I, th- and I think that most, like, like you're saying, I think when the focus is on getting pregnant, when the 
hold on. You, you cut out for a second. You, you said when the focus is on getting pregnant, then what? When the focus is on what you produce. Oh, when you produce. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When the focus is yep. on the out, the outcome on what yep. you produce. Yeah. Then I think that that's when it really does become an indictment. Yes. Is because it's like, well, I, I'm not achieving this outcome. And then that's where I think this becomes really insidious because then we reduce ourselves to means of production. Right. We reduce ourselves to objects. And I know like I've talked to women who've gone through NAPRO and this is something that they, that, that can be present as they're going through this process. And of course, everybody's like, everybody rebels against that because we intrinsically know we're not objects. We're persons. And it matter. It doesn't just matter what the outcome is. The process also matters and how we navigate this and how we go through it, how we're treated during this process as whole persons, not just a chart, not just what is going on in your cycle. Um, and I know you were telling me that you had an experience like this with one of your doctors. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dr. Where this kind of came out. Yeah. Yeah. So this was near like, this was like seven years into it. I had already had multiple surgeries and I just kind of always expected while well, I'm having surgeries, I'm, I'm getting fixed, at least in some sense, like my chart is supposed to like reflect that. Mm-hmm. That was like something that I just, it was just like something that I just believed or told myself, I don't know. So as the surgeries kept happening and um, at some point, like the chart didn't recover. And I was like, but wait a minute, I had the surgery, like the chart is supposed to like, my body's supposed to reflect this in the chart. And the chart is reflecting what my body's saying like the chart communicates for my body basically in some ways and so it was really hard and that's when I learned like oh my gosh I'm, lo- I'm literally looking every day at what is wrong with me and not working and this is becoming really hard um like you said because I'm not you know my goal is to decrease pain too like that was one side of it but but yeah. really I would have preferred go through the pain if I could have a child so really having a child was was more important to me than getting rid of the pain and so that wasn't happening. And so I'm like, this is something wrong with me. So I took uh, one of my appointments with Dr. Caldwell, my napper doctor, and I was just cried. I just, I'm like, why isn't this, you know, reflecting what I want it to. And she, she did her, she just really handled my heart well. And she just let me cry. And she was just, she talked about expectations. And I realized that I was expecting to t- the chart to tell me something that wasn't true about how my body works. And I just, she was like, what was great was that she gave me full permission to stop charting. She was like, you don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really needed that freedom, but she also gave me some other ways to think about it. So, um, what was really helpful is to come home and be like, I knew I could stop charting if I wanted to. Um, I ended up once I, and I was really considering stopping going into that appointment, but, um, I, I sat and I was like, okay, I can't expect the chart to lie to me. This is just a, this is just telling me the truth about how my body works. And I need to be, I just need to be honest about what it's telling me and let it tell me that basically. I don't know why that, that was just kind of a help, helpful, um, to, to helpful to look at my expectations and really what I was expecting to see. And once that changed, I was able to do it a little bit longer. Uh until I stopped before my hysterectomy. Well, I think that speaks to the value of being witnessed. The importance of that. 
that it's not so much important to take the pain away as it is to know that you're accompanied and that you're seen in, in what you're experiencing. And, and I think that's where a lot of people probably get it wrong. And because it's like, you see somebody in pain, it's like, okay, well, it's my job to take it away. You're coming to me with a problem. I must fix it. It's like, no, (laughs) that's not how this works. Because the reason why I'm coming to you is because I just need, I need to, I just need to get this out there. I just need to speak the truth here. Kind of like, I think, and this is, something that's always stood out to me in our conversations and in conversations with other women is that the pain of infertility, like you said, you would have gone through the physical pain if it meant you could have a child. I did. Yeah. That's, and that's how great that desire for a child is, is that you are willing to push through and, and continue to put yourself through this torture and like taking, you know, pregnancy tests every cycle and, and, and look at all of this because you want a child. And that's a good thing to want. And it's, I think it just speaks so much to that, that, that desire is so huge. You're willing to go through all of this to get there. And that's where I think there's, I want to be careful in saying a danger, but that's where I think NAPRO can get really, and restorative healthcare can get, I, I don't want to just single out NAPRO, just restorative healthcare in general can become problematic um, because yes, that is a good, but what, what are you sacrificing in the wake? You know, a lot of women will talk to me about how um, the impact on their marriage that sex kind of becomes utilitarian and then it just kind of loses its fun. It's like, we're doing this to make a baby. Mm -hmm. We're targeting this to make a baby. Um, And sometimes it's, it's not always the case that they're told like, like you were that it's okay to take a break. Um, And that that actually is, but, and, and I can understand like in your mind, you're like, wait, no, I like, I can't miss a cycle because what if this is a cycle where we could conceive, right? I could understand that there's that hanging over you. Um, but could you talk a little bit about what, I mean, obviously being witnessed is certainly one, but what are, what do you think those coping strategies are as you're going through this process? You know, you're focusing on health, but there is still that very strong, very understandable desire for the outcome of a baby. What is this balancing this? What is that coping strategy? What are, what are those coping mechanisms potentially look like? I, I think, and it, it kind of factors in when you're considering artificial reproductive technologies too. I think that like when coming back to the human person and just the emphasis that we put on having a child and the balance that needs to come back, because I think that it's such a sensitive topic for so many people, it's really hard to address. Um, but there is a level where having a child becomes such a high priority. It becomes a priority over yourself and your relationship. And I think, um, I want to, I want to be really sensitive and respectful and I've been, I've been there. Um, but I, you, you can kind of tell when that focus, it it just becomes too high. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it helps just remembering what the goodness of your marriage is, what the goodness of you just as you are is. And really, I think finding a good counselor, I mean, we always talk about that, trying to get rid of the stigma of mental health, like therapy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, 
And I just, I think it's being grounded, like being grounded by yes, my desire to have a child is really good, but, but it is not everything in my life. It is not more important than my own mental health. It is not more important than my relationship. And just really being sensitive, I think, which is hard for any of us, whether it's infer- mm-hmm. infertility or not, just to be grounded, to know how to like stay regulated and be able to truly discern what's supposed to happen next. Um, I think that's really hard and mm-hmm. that's okay, but that's just, that's why I like to focus on health um, because like whether or not you're trying to achieve a child, it is good to get your body healthy. Mm-hmm. And, oh, did you hear that or did I just hear that? I did not. I think you just heard it. What okay. happened? <laughs> it was just a loud noise. Um, okay. All good on my oh, end. My <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying now. Oh, and you but, are on a really good roll and I blanked oh, too. <laughs> oh, I mean, hey, it happened. Um, <laughs> just think it's perspective. I yeah. really... I, I see women on Instagram and it, I, I don't know if I've just been doing this a long time or even in my, in my clients, like um, it's not something you call out, but it's like, you can just tell by the language or like the, uh, like the body language or the, actually the language that they use, you can tell like, okay, this, this needs to kind of come back into balance a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just, I don't think there's a, a really good understanding of you can have peace and joy without a pregnancy. That's where I am now. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, I mean, but I mean, I'm, it's, it's taken me a while to get here. It wasn't easy. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying there becomes a place where it becomes a little more desperate. And, and so at that point, I think it's just about tempering that and just saying like, okay, do I really need this? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really hard way to, Gotcha. Yeah. You know? Well, and like you said, for you, it was a process to get there. And I think the process is important. Whatever, whatever yeah. process it takes for somebody to get to that point is not so much that you arrive at the destination. It's, it's how you get there yeah. and however long it takes to get there is fine, but you did get there eventually. Um, can you talk about that kind of that shift for you? Cause I, I remember I I've always been struck by this when you, you told me that pregnancy does not heal the wounds of infertility. And and when I experienced secondary infertility and then got pregnant, I was like, oh, she's right. <laughs> Nothing went away. It was all still there. It was just dialed up. So can you talk I'm about- I'm so glad you brought that out because yeah. there's this facade that when you're infertile and you're trying to get, whether it's secondary or you know, primary, whatever, it's just like, yes, having a baby is what's gonna solve my problems. Yeah. How does that statement sound? Like what? No, having a baby is not going to solve anyone's problem. It's a good thing. But, um, I've talked to several women once I really kind of realized this and it's like, no, you're right. I got pregnant after infertility and like that wound was still there. And I think Mm -hmm. because it's touching on things that were never addressed. If we just focus all our energy on trying to achieve a pregnancy and not actually on internal growth and like, okay, why is this so hard for me? And what, what is the wound it's tugging on? And and am I upset with God? Okay. Like a lot of it, I think for a lot of people, whether you're Catholic or not, um, it always comes back to God. I think a lot of us do that because he can do anything and we kind of hold mm-hmm. him responsible. I know I did. That's <laughs> for sure, sure. Um, and it becomes this then indictment on God as well as mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, why didn't you do this thing for me that, that is good. And that I want and that like, you want me to have, 
Mm-hmm. But there's just so much more going on. If we just hone in only solely on focusing on getting pregnant, we miss all that other stuff. Yeah. Trying to like walk the line of not getting too theological here. Um, no, you're doing a great job. But I love it. yeah, so of course, I'm not exactly an unbiased. <laughs> you're a little biased, but <laughs> oh, it sounds great. But I mean, I'm I drink spir- the same Kool Aid as you. I know. <laughs> if you're a spiritual person, okay, I think of it as like you, you know. God, you know, God's will is not aligned with yours right now. And that is a hard pill to swallow for anybody. If you're not a spiritual person, it's more like, okay, I don't know what the universe is, is not giving me what I want, but there's still something else going on there because we don't need a baby to satisfy us. Like mm-hmm. we can still be happy and at peace and content if we don't ever have that pregnancy and I'm living proof. And that's why eventually it took me a long time to get here. But I was like, I remember thinking about myself back then. And I'm like, I want people to know this is possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am more than okay. I have never had a pregnancy. I never will, but I don't need it to be, mm-hmm. it'll be a pain. I'm not saying that it's not mm-hmm. going to um, be hard. It is hard, but this doesn't limit me Yeah, by yeah. any means. So let's talk about that. Let's mm-hmm. not just have this facade of, okay, if you get pregnant, everything's fine. Yeah. Well, and I think there, there is a limit and there is, there is a door that was closed but the point was, is that that didn't close you in this dark room. It was just, no, there's a door over there. Yes. As, so go through that one. Yeah. And what is that? And it's going to be different. And it's not what you originally wanted. That's right. But it's, and it's not necessarily better or worse. It's not a competition because they're just different things. Mm-hmm. And you still walked through a door of fruitfulness. Just, in a, it was just a different door. Um. And I know that that's something that we, you've talked about a lot and we've talked about a lot. This idea of like fertility and fruitfulness is not being confined or limited by biology. Yeah. Um, obviously that's a beautiful, wonderful, that's a cross in and of, of itself, but yeah. it's, it's different. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then you don't have to use the term fruitfulness. I think that infertility and treatments, whatever that treatment is, all the efforts there's a, a a point where it becomes huge distractions, distractions mm-hmm. on like who I'm actually am and I'm good at and like things I do actually want to do, but this mm-hmm. other thing has taken over, yeah. you know, in the spiritual world, we kind of use the term fruitfulness, but it's not, you know, no matter what your spirituality is, it's like, no, you have gifts. You're really good at things. Yeah. Things yeah. really like make you passionate. You have purpose and that feels really good. Yeah. Whether you have kids or not, you're not a one hit wonder. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's okay. a good place to wrap up. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Uh, check the show notes. If we link to anything, I don't think we're linking to anything today. I don't we, think didn't really mention anything. we can link to your book again. We're going to link to your book again. If you'd okay. like to know more about Bar- Mary's story, um, if what we said today, you know, inspired you, you'd like to go a little deeper, obviously follow us on social media. Um, but Mary also wrote a memoir of her journey through infertility and finding finding the meaning that we were talking about today. So check that out. We will link that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you, hearing you again. You hearing us soon. Yeah, there we go. You're going to hear us again soon. That sounds ominous. Oh yeah, it does. That's okay. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for listening to our conversation. If you enjoy The Intersect, would you mind giving us a rating and leaving a review? You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
browse our unique website at fabmbase.org where you'll find easy to digest information on all things fertility awareness and information on how to contact us with questions or to book us for a speaking engagement. We're so glad you hung out with us today and we can't wait till next time.